Good evening, I'm Aideen Gormley and you're very welcome to My Tunes. My guest this evening needs no big introduction. Paddy Maloney, leader of the Chieftains, you're very welcome. The Fulcher Oath. Gormley Aideen. Delighted, delighted to be here with you and uh, chatting and reminiscing. I think we spent an hour at it already before we, we came on the air. <laughs> <laughs> You've brought in some great music with you, Paddy, and I think what really shows is, is firstly your love of traditional music, but secondly your love of collaborating with other musicians and, mm. and music traditions. If we talk about the just solely the Irish traditional music, I mean, yeah. that came from home, didn't it, from your parents? That's right. Um, my uh, grandfather was a flute player and uh, so going down to the Schliebloom Mountains, you know, for three months a year was just a greatest joy to me. Small little cottage, no electricity, no running water, you know. But to me, it was a palace. And the times we had there every evening, there was dancing, set dancing and the melodeon had come down off the dresser. And uh, we're at the weekends, there was a big house dance, you know, and lots of people just have to stand outside, you know, <laughs> and take their turn to come in and do the sets. But uh, melodeons were the, the big thing then, you know. Uh, and um, uh, but, you know, that whole joy of that was just brilliant for me. And, and then it sort of spilt over into Donny Carney, where I was born and um, uh, my parents there. My mother still, you know, she played the old accordion. And uh, but there was a pipe band down in Ballyfin, Ballyfin pipe band. So that pipes was beginning to get into my head yeah. because I remember we used to sleep, sleep in a settle bed in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, there were so many, you know, there was all the cousins and all the game, 10 or 12, you know. And uh, but my uncle, you know, we had to practice. He'd walk up and down the kitchen, you know, small kitchen, <laughs> playing the bagpipes. <laughs> so he either went mad or you fell asleep. You yeah, know? Yeah. But it was brilliant. And it was the bagpipes as opposed to the Ellen pipes. That's right. right. Yeah. Right. And I was the mascot for once I took up the Union pipes, you know, um, they used to go on these little trips uh, to collect funds, you know, and they'd yeah. stop in Tullamore and in Burr and places like that. And they'd put me sitting up on the, the, the big drum and I'd play away my short trousers, <laughs> you know, and the, the money would start to flow, you know, so they collected yeah. funds for it. Or, yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting that you started on the tin whistle because a lot of parents start their kids on the piano. But mm. within the traditional scene, I suppose, the tin whistle is the, is, is the first it, instrument. It was, yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember she bought it for me for one shilling and ninepence. It was in the old money. Uh, in um, in Talbot Street there the old shop is gone now but right beside Nelson's Pillar you know and, yeah. and uh, I taught myself unfortunately I put my uh, uh, right hand on top uh, instead of on the bottom so that when I went to Leo Rousam uh, eventually who lived up the road from me in Belden Park Donny Kearney um, I had to he said no you have to swap over you know <laughs> so uh, although Willie Clancy was a left handed piper strangely yeah, enough yeah. but Leo said well, you try putting your hand on so uh, it didn't take much and, um, and Leo Rassam was your first teacher then wasn't he? He was my first and he made the set of pipes and I used to hang out with his son Leon the late Leon and Liam you know because they were school same school and the school band there in school were a Marino and I saw this instrument that I've been listening to for a long time and I said, oh my God, what a beast. You know, I've just got to get get a set, you know. And uh, so I got my bag bellows enchanter and, and got going on it, you know. And uh, So you make it look so easy now, but I, I agree with you, when you first get the Ellen Pipes, you mm. must just think, how does this work, oh, you know, as a kid? I mean, there's a whole lot of things, you know, the bellows mm. pumps the wind into the bag and you squeeze the bag on your left arm, hopefully out she comes, you know. So, I mean, so it's, how long did take yeah. you to really think no I've got it now you know yeah. uh, I mean in, in those first few years of being taught right um, yeah I went to Leo in the sc- school of music you know in, in um, municipal school of music in Chatham Row uh, and it came to me after about a year it really started to sink in you know and I had that 
God-given gift, the flair of just being able to mm. pick on it. And of course, I used to represent the, the college then, um, uh, the school of music it was, and played Carolyn's concerto, you know, and yeah. tried to be grand and all the concerto <laughs> <laughs> the school of music. Yeah. But uh, winning uh, also uh, some great uh, competitions, you know, um, uh, the Feshkjol in, 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 or not the Feshkjol, I won a couple of them, but the uh, Feshkjol Clear in the Mansion House. And, and uh, there was 26 young pipers and some of them were older and some were younger but uh, I managed to pull through on that one and Leo was very proud of me altogether he put me up on his shoulder oh. and marched me down the <laughs> centre of the mansion house <laughs> always remember that that's you know? a great and memory Sean Potts had a, a, a um, my colleague Sean had a little uh, remark something he said um, oh that fella, he was here before. <laughs> he was here before. <laughs> you, have that. you have that fair. You've chosen Leo Rossum as your first choice. I think so, yeah. Leo was the man that really impressed me, you know, from the outside for the instrument, for the Ealing pipes itself. You know, he was brilliant. He played them, he made them. For me, he was the King of the Pipers. And what piece would you like to hear? Well, from King of the Pipers. And uh, there's a, I used to go to uh, Saturday nights to the, um, the Pipers Club in Thomas Street. And uh, Leo would put on a performance there every Saturday night. But the fox chase always fascinated me.
Lee Rosen there from the album King of the Pipers and Fox Chase, the first music choice of my guest on my tunes this evening. Uh, Paddy Maloney, you were saying that Leo made the pipes. Uh, mm. Am I right that at the moment there's a little bit of a crisis in this country in terms of pipe making? That's right. Uh, in the Peabody Union in Henrietta Street, you know, um, uh, there's such a demand for pipes that uh, if there was enough pipers, they could e- easily bring in a revenue of five or six million, <laughs> which is yeah. incredible. Uh, but there's five or six years and there's young guys waiting 10 years for pipes, you know, which is dreadful. And they do make them in different parts of the world. But uh, here is where it should happen. And, uh, uh, you know, we had a meeting there in, in the Peabody Hill and I think I'm the, the only living <laughs> founder member, which makes me scary <laughs> of the Peabody Hill. Um, but uh, hopefully, you know, we, we'll um, uh, uh, some funds, if they ever mature again, yeah. will come this way or come our way, and and um, we get a, a bunch of pipe makers going on. It's a great art. It's a it's a it's an art in itself, mm-hmm. you know, because there's no set the same as the other. You know, the reeds are different and. It, it's, uh, Do you just have the one set of villain pipes at the moment? I have no, I have one or two sets. No, one of my top, about three sets of villain pipes. Yeah. yeah, but there's one that I play all the time and travel with mostly. And I have a set in in uh, um, Vermont, been um, done by uh, Benedict Kohler, who's a great pipe maker and reed maker, and he's a genius on Rousham sets. He was a piano maker, and he got the bug, the wow. madness, and he just <laughs> stopped making pianos and went on to William Pipes. Brilliant. And, uh, yeah, so he has my pipes almost ready, the first uh, full set I got from Leo. It's hard to believe that the Chieftains will be celebrating 50 years in 2012. Can you believe it? Oh, gosh, where's it gone? You know, where has it gone? I do not know, but it's um, it's been a fantastic journey. You know, it's just from the word go, all the trials and tribulations, all the, the hard knocks and the did we do, make the right decisions and that sort of stuff. And yeah. it was it's, it was a, a, a big thing. But uh, it took 12 years for us to make up our minds to go full-time professional. And I was running Clatter Records, the uh, Gareth Brown's record company. And uh, uh, I, I ran that for about eight years before. But I was keeping an eye on the Chieftains and the whole setup, you know. Was it right to pull up the stakes and persuade everybody to to go, you know, mm. go full time? Uh, was that a big decision? Yeah, that was a huge yeah. decision because it's a trad group tradition of music. We didn't even sing or dance or just solid music. But a concert in the Albert Hall in London, nineteen seventy-five, sort of made up my mind about it and and everybody else's too because it sold out in three weeks and that was the first promoted, big promoted concert. And just on that stage, you know, to 6,000 people and playing and that excitement. Uh, uh, and as I said, we didn't have singing in the band. We didn't have dancers or anything at that time, just yeah. solid music. And to see people swirling around, dancing around the hall, you know, yeah. and coming back up, Sean Potts and myself, we hugged one another with tears in our eyes, oh. you know, and said, we made it, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Going back up the, the ramp, just like going back up onto Manchester United football <laughs> and, team. And was there that feeling that you needed to, to make your mark internationally as well as in Ireland, you know, for example, in, in the Albert Hall, that, that you mm. could be full time and that it could work for you? Yes, it wasn't it wasn't going to happen uh, back home here, you know, to make a full time living out of it. And we all had families and that sort of thing. So uh, but I was keeping an eye on where what was happening, you know, and and uh, we had strange successes like the, the Beatles listening to us and the Rolling Stones were fans of ours, you know, coming to concerts, you know, yeah. Marianne Faithful, you know, what's going on here? And even in 1968, um, uh, 
John Peel, who was the number one disc jockey in the world and at that time. Very influential, yeah. Yeah, and he was playing in amongst his Beatles and Rolling Stone tracks, you know. No, you were breaking into all kinds of things. I'm wondering as well, though, when when you were absolutely immersed in the Chieftains, I mean, for example, what would have been the first albums you would have bought? Would they have been trad albums or, or what were you listening to? Strangely enough, you know, I was getting me, I mean, I was playing trad music all the time. Yeah. But then I was listening to Lonnie Donegan, you know, right. the skiffle group. And uh, I even put a skiffle band together, you know, just four harmony, uh, playing a ukulele. And uh, we called ourselves the Three Squares. <laughs> the three of us. And, uh, but uh, it was so interesting, um, uh, the different styles. And in fact, my first album, um, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, she bought me the first LP was, was um, a jazz album by uh, uh, a Scottish um, jazz group. So a bit but of jazz amazing, happening, yeah. A bit of jazz, yeah. Segovia on guitar, that kind of stuff. And uh, But all the time, you know, I wasn't drifting away from what I loved and did best, yeah. and that was traditional Irish music. I remember Seamus Ennis giving me a beautiful album, a collection, an old collection, Alan Lomax collection, uh, of songs and music from around Ireland. And um, I have still have that green cover. It was just brilliant, mm. you know. Came out of the house with it to me one time. You're, you're obviously a Michal O'Sullivan fan. My me all I've known, you know, and um, perhaps you know dealing with Sean O'Reilly too, like it was part of his group, Kilthorne Cool, and in the early sixties on. Um, but Chieftains, in fact, was prior to that. People don't know, and Barney McKenna was an original Chieftain. You know, right, he used yeah. to come to my house three nights a week, rehearsals, and and Paddy Bon O'Brien and. And uh, though there was early days of Chieftains there, we didn't name it as such, but it was the beginning. And then with O'Reilly that then, you know, being part of his group, that all sort of helped. And I helped him put together his uh, Cool and, you know, brought in Sean Potts and Michael Tubridy into it. And uh, But uh, Mihal was, was a great up and coming musician with, with Sean down in Cork at the time. And, and I remember at the Lorient Festival in 72, listening to him play and I said this guy's good you know and then he found his way you know and and became you know head of music down in in Limerick and set up that college which is just incredible wonderful yeah and we uh we're musicians in residence uh, there for the last 10 years and we set up a, a scholarship fund when Derek died uh for uh, other musicians to protect and did three big concerts and gave the proceeds to uh, the beginning of the of the uh, scholarship uh, so Michal has to be tremendously admired but I love his style and, and every year we have this get together this great concert down in the concert hall and Michal has a, a new album that came out there uh, but there was one particular tune I heard it was uh, one that we recorded way back in 69 it's called Eile Gyal Cuny Carul uh, Eileen um, Bright uh, Quiet Ni Carol, you know, so uh, uh, it's from the Bunting Collection, but Michal, I, I think, did a beautiful job on it.
Eile Yal Hewan there, Miholo Sullivan uh, from his latest album, The Music Choice of My Guest on My Tunes this evening, Paddy Maloney. We were just saying there, Paddy, listening to Mihal, that he has that certain sound. You know, you mentioned Sean O'Rea that had that sound yeah, as well. Yeah. And the Chieftains, you, you know when you listen yeah, yeah. that it's the Chieftains. Do you remember mm. hitting on the Chieftain sound and going, yeah, this is working, this is us? I know. It was, um, it would have been prior now to meeting up with Sean because I wasn't into Believe it or not, accordions, McCordians is what we used to call it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I wasn't uh, that keen on that particular sound. An awful lot of accordions around those days were all out of tune with themselves. Right. You know, they were never tuned. Yeah. It drive me bonkers, you know. Yeah. But um, that's not the case anymore, you know. Martin O'Connor now would kill me, you exactly. know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they're so brilliant. Yeah. Um, but I, I, wanted, I wanted to avoid that and... Um, and pianos and guitars and that sort of stuff. I wasn't that keen on it. So I just wanted to establish what, you know what I mean? I hit the right note eventually mm. that I thought the right sound for 62 is when we made the first album. And uh, and that was bow on whistle pipes, flute and fiddle. And uh, and it just went on and, from and there. And the sound hit, yeah. 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 We, we were talking about all the, the successful collaborations you've had, everyone from, from Sting to the Rolling Stones. Mm. I, I want to talk to you about the album The Long Black Veil, which was your, your Chieftains and Friends album, if you like, because right. you, you'd stayed purely traditional for, what, about 25 albums before that? That's right, yeah. 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 So why did you decide and at that point, let's do something different? I, you know, there was something that happened around that time and there was a great buzz from the record companies as well. So... Uh, they were looking for a bit of meat, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and they were saying, you know, you've recorded with Paul McCartney in 1972 and you're on Mick Jagger's solo album and uh, Amadon, you know, from Mike Oldfield and Don Henley from the Eagles. There was quite a few albums that we sometimes just my, myself or sometimes the whole band yeah. were, were appearing on, uh, Art Garfunkel as well. And um, they said, you know, and I, a strange idea came to me that maybe I put all these tracks together and it got so complicated contractually, you know, it was just impossible. Yeah. And it would, never would have happened. I said to hell, I go out and do Chieftains and Friends and hello Mick and hello Sting. <laughs> Any chance of you doing uh, an Irish song, you know. And, and um, But I mean, you got Sting to sing with Gilmar. Yeah, yeah, and he wanted to do the entire song. I could have let him. But my good friend, Sean McRaymond, poor Sean, I missed him so much. He, he wrote the sleeve notes on my, a lot of my albums and the early albums, uh, Chieftain albums. Uh, but uh, he did translation for me into into English, so we split it. You yeah. know, we did some Irish, some English, and, and did you teach him sort of phonetically how to? That's right. Oh, the, the telephone on a Thursday evening, and by Tuesday <laughs> he had it. You know, really, yeah. And we went to his house down in the south of England, and God, I remember Derek Bell falling in the in the pond. He he thought it was the lily pond. He thought <laughs> it was, and he stepped on the lilies, and down he went. Oh, <laughs> and we were having lunch out in the garden. You know, out in the. It was just beautiful day and yeah. three takes. That's all it took, really, you know. Yeah. And then he said, you have to stay for dinner. You have to come over. So he had this Vietnamese cook, you know, who was just incredible. And I love Vietnamese food. Wow. And, uh, but Sting, um, there was a whole cover thing happening. Different artists singing Leonard Cohen songs. And, and he was asked to do the Sisters of Mercy. Was that the one? Yeah, Sister Mercy. Uh, and uh, uh, so we did a version. I just remember this now. Yeah. God, um, that we did this this particular version of the Sister Mercy with with um, 
uh, with Sting. And was this um, that, over the night when you were? Yeah, no, yeah. at six o'clock. I mean, again, yeah. it only took you know a couple of minutes, and and then we stayed for dinner and and uh, had a party afterwards. And <laughs> Derek dried his socks out, and <laughs> we had a photograph of Derek's socks drying out on the on the front. <laughs> but that 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 album, Long Black Fail, it just yeah. from from hearing you talking about it before and working mm. with the Rolling Stones on it as well, sounds like he had a lot of parties. Sounds like oh, it was quite a bit of fun to make that, that album. I mean, the the Stones coming. They were supposed to arrive at two. We sent a bus and all to down to Ronnie Ronnie Wood's house and, and uh, seven o'clock no sign of them oh my god and then they arrived with their entourage and their own bar and <laughs> we had food and so it, it did actually you turn a into a party yeah. in Windmill Lane and Jean Butler who was dancing with us at the time um, she came in and danced you know and I, said, I was looking at me watch you know I said last do you mind if I press the button you know <laughs> and I put a bit of satisfaction into the middle of, of the rocky road to Dublin you Brilliant. know they were delighted and, it's oh like, yeah. yeah and Keith Richard was saying you know, he, he was interviewed about us uh, oh yeah they're, they're a year old and we are you know, I pull a nice cigarette and uh, uh, Paddy Maloney made me play this 9-8 rhythm I never played 9-8 rhythm before <laughs> you know and then what does he do he puts satisfaction into the middle of it you know so uh, when you they collaborating thought it was great. like that like do, do you do an awful lot of improvising yourself there's, there's a certain amount well, yeah. I usually structure it I don't like going in just on the off chance that something might happen you know and uh, I usually have a structure something you know what I mean that's you know but everybody's free to move around a little bit within the, the arrangements yeah, yeah. or whatever and uh, certainly was a lot I mean in the end there I was, went into another 12-8 from 9-8 <laughs> you know and uh, uh, but uh, th- th- I had to turn you know nobody was stopping I couldn't get anyone to stop you know <laughs> and it just, you know they were just totally they were having a ball having a ball yeah, so I f- it's a, it was a big fade yeah. out you know. the, the other album that, that I always loved was, was The Tears of Stone where you, oh, were, yeah. you were trying to get a lot of the sort of contemporary female artists at the time together with traditional uh, Irish music yeah. I mean the likes of Joni Mitchell what, what are your mm. memories of, of working with Joni Mitchell Joni was great she went to, to see her in, in Los Angeles and she gave me one of her paintings and signed it which wow. was great have you know yeah. but um, just talking with her I mean just talking music and 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 going out that night uh, one of the nights of the of the uh, Grammys and we were making up songs you know after a few glasses of champagne <laughs> at two in the morning at the Four Seasons see more partying there we go <laughs> <laughs> and the laugh was just incredible but uh, she was she quite a serious and, and you know the song I as I took you know I only brought Derek and myself didn't want to complicate the the whole thing and, yeah. and uh, so I put down just uh, three tracks for a start you know but then I built around it and I had uh, the screaming orphans you know because uh, she sang the, the, Mag- the Magdalene Laundries Magdalene Laundries yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was great and, and I have a little bell going you know <laughs> sort of dramatised the song a bit you know and uh, asked afterwards what she thought I thought oh my god she's going to kill me she said no no I mean that's my song here but that was what he did. It just opened mm. up a different thing, you know, and, and she respected that. You want to hear Mozart next? Something completely different? Mozart. I always had this great passion for Mozart, you know, and, and picking up classical tunes when I was six or seven years of age, you know, the radio air and orchestra and, and listening to it, you know, uh, and, you know, the lump, the lump, the lump, the lump, the lump, and all these various pieces. And I could sing the tonic sulfur, which was my way of... of uh, Taken down, so 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 do me, so so do me, righty. So I could sing tonic sulfur to a uh, movable yeah, dough, you yeah. know, to any piece, you know, once I had it in my head, which is great for dotting them down, you know, Brilliant. in advance. And um, but the Mozart, uh, uh, you know, there was great pieces from him, and I his story fascinated me as well. The whole thing, I think there was a bit of Irishness in him, but he did have a great friend called Michael Kelly, 
who was uh, from Dublin, Fishamba Street, a composer himself and uh, a great singer. And uh, the first performance of The Marriage of Figaro, uh, he was the tenor because he was a great friend of Mozart. Mm. They used to go out in the evening time doing whatever men do, <laughs> playing, <laughs> playing cards yes. and snooker and <laughs> whatever goes on. And the wee drop, I'm sure, you I'm know, sure. being yeah. an Irish man. But um, anyhow, I'm, I'm convinced that Michael, he must have given, there's a, a tune called the uh, the Piper's Chair, uh, which I might play for you, you know. Want to play for now. now, you have the tin whistle there. That's <laughs> the Piper's chair, which is. Ah. So I did this, oh, yeah. this uh, fusion of the two of them. I haven't uh, brought it out on a, a record as yet, but we play it at all our orchestral concerts and the people just love it. Brilliant. I bring the horn player down and uh, he's supposed to be disgusted, which I'm sure he was, <laughs> <laughs> or he is. And uh, he tears up the piece at the end and throws it to the crowd. <laughs> but uh, it, it goes from you know four eight bars to four bars to two bars and uh, it gets very fast and very congested and then there's chaos and then there's a huge big Chinese gong stops the whole <laughs> thing and at the end we win you know the, the jig wins out in the <laughs> yeah, end of course it so does. the horn player plays and he's off you know and the dancers come on but um, and the horn concerto you want to hear now the chieftains played this we the, did with the orchestra yeah. that's right I've, am I yeah. right yeah yeah correct that's correct. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> I must go, go back on these well, we'll, we'll play it now and you can, we'll reminisce. <laughs> okay. Thank you. 
Mozart's Horn Concerto Number no. 4, uh, Timothy Brown, the soloist there with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, the music choice of my guest on my tunes this evening, Paddy Maloney. Paddy, listening to that, you were saying that you've a great love of classical music. Always did. And, and uh, perhaps, you know, just listening to, you know, RTE Orchestra in the old days, you know, I just loved it, you know. And, and do you I, like I playing with orchestras now with the Chieftains? I do. I, I started to... Um, uh, well, I know in 72 we did a version of Carolyn's Concerto with Derek. This is when I met old Ding Dong Bell, <laughs> the late Derek Bell. Um, and that was with the BBC Orchestra in Belfast in 1972. And just, it was terrific uh, just to get that buzz. And I didn't see any problems then. You know, I was a bit yeah. scared about playing with orchestras. And then, you know, doing music for uh, um, some film scores. And uh, after Barry Lyndon, you know, we did music for, for uh, Tristan and Isolde. Yes. And... Uh, that was uh, a Richard Barton film that never got off the ground. <laughs> yeah. But the music lives yeah. on, you know, and you do get great opportunities yeah. like that. And, and, and tell me, bring me back to Barry Lyndon, because, um, I mean, Stanley Cooper was an extraordinary director and I think mm. he always really thought in terms of music with his films. Did you mm. have much chat with him about the soundtrack? Or? I did. Uh, the, the funny one was, you know, I just running Clatter Records at yeah. the time and I was having a, a press conference in, in uh, Dame House, Dame Street. That's where I set up the office for Clatter uh, in the old days, you know, 75. And uh, I remember to get the, I got this phone call. Terry Wilson used to be writing for the Herald at the time and Terry was sitting beside me. We were having a drink, you know, and, and uh, the release of an album, you know. Uh, uh, we used to have great, great parties, you know. But I got a phone call, and uh, this is uh, you know, this is Stanley Kubrick here. I wonder, uh, uh, could I speak to you about some music for a film that I'm doing? I had no, had no clue who he was or what was going on. Uh, and Terry turned to me. He said, "My God, you!" Re-. I actually said to 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 Stanley, "Listen, is there any chance you could phone me back on Monday morning because I'm in the middle of running <laughs> this thing?" You know, and okay, okay, yeah. And uh, and I think he he took a shine to me then. You know, yeah, yeah. that we got on, we hit it off great. And I went over to London uh, to him and went out to his house and and. Uh, uh, the five-minute piece that he was looking for, you know, he said, by the way, there's something else here maybe you could add. So I, I did the sea image and uh, uh, um, and very three or four other. So I sold him 25 minutes of music in the right. end, you know, yeah. and, which was So which he sort of gave you free reign again, just the, this yeah, is what I want. To, yeah, at one stage he said, oh, come on, buddy, you couldn't suggest that. That's a, that's a somebody... Jarred on the out of his mind on a Saturday yeah. night. That's a, you know. Yeah. So there was a funny thing going like that, and and he asked us back afterwards to do um, over the hills and far away version of that uh, for a particular scene, which didn't make it anyway. Right. But he, uh, I said, Stan, you can't. No, um, you know, we're just going full time professional, and three weeks in England, and then there's a week before three weeks in the United States. And the families, you know, we have to be with the families. I couldn't do it, you know. So bring them over, you know. So he brought all the children and limos, picked us up. We were never in limos before. <laughs> and uh, we did the piece and, and uh, uh, that night, it was Halloween. Yeah. And he had a big Halloween party uh, in his back garden for us and chestnuts and roast and chestnuts and all. I, little so memories really like that come because, back, you know. Because a lot yeah. of actors said he was impossible, oh, yeah, very tricky yeah, to work with. But you yeah. didn't see that side of him. Not at all. I mean, I did see it, but... Uh, I'm a bit crazy myself, so we <laughs> hit it no. off, all right. Um, you won the Oscar for the for the soundtrack to Barry Lyndon. Tell That's us, right. Where's the Oscar? I always have to ask that question. It's it's in Hollywood actually, uh, because we uh, there was um, 
uh, Bernstein was another guy who did the orchestra. It's all classical yes. music, you know, um, various other classical pieces. Mm. But uh, it was held by him for us, you know. Right. And um, because nobody was going to bring us over to Hollywood, you know, to, to accept the, the... But it was the love team that, that won the... But uh yeah, those days now it's different now I of know. course, you know. I yeah. mean we we've been nominated twice or three times for Oscars, mm. uh various other films over the years. And as you know, we have six Grammys and You're doing all right in terms of the awards cabinet, I, I think know. you are. <laughs> <laughs> now we're coming to a wonderful performance. Yeah. So glad you chose this piece, yeah. uh, Freddie Mercury. Oh, and yeah. And Montserrat Cabea, mm. who uh, I, I worked with and, uh, you know, we did an album um, which Lyric FM gave great praise. It was um, Christmas in Rome album, uh, but she sings a, a, a verse of, of Silent Night in Spanish on it. And uh, but I, I, you know, worked. There's a couple of things we did. Um, um, the last rose of summer with her on another album as well. But uh, Montserrat, you know, she was a great voice. But when I heard this particular you know uh collaboration between freddie mercury and this great voice you yeah. know and the song of course barcelona barcelona barcelona
Well, I hope you enjoyed that much as uh, we did in studio. <laughs> I almost felt like joining in myself on my tin whistle there. Beautifully, we could have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the counter melodies and the hopping back and forward. Yeah, know, it's just brilliant. I know. Which For, brings me to a, a, a and we should say with, sorry that was Freddie Mercury and Monster Kabay in Barcelona, and I'm yeah. here with with Paddy Maloney. It brings to mind uh, uh, a song we did with Pavarotti as well, Finicale, uh, Finicale, you know, and. Uh, uh, he adored the chieftains. You know, he was a great follower of ours, and uh, he called me up and and he said, well, "What what can we do?" You know, and I thought maybe I was Danny Boy, maybe or something like that, which I wasn't that mad about. I don't really do it much, but it's a great song. Yeah. And uh, and all the time he was talking, and he was trying. Oh, I know, I, I could never get up to that high note. And he was a bit afraid of the high note. Yeah. You know, was this towards the end of his his career as such? It or was, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, about two years before he died. Yeah. yeah. So we 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 sort of settled on the on the song then Vinicoli Vinicola, uh, and that, extraordinary the way the the chieftains. I mean, it it worked on paper. You wouldn't think yeah. the chieftains playing that with Pavarotti, but it worked it's with wrong. the orchestra. Yeah, I got well. to remix yeah. it, but uh, you know, <laughs> more yeah. of us into it. A lot of tin whistling and we we sound <laughs> long, but uh, it was uh, it was great fun to do. And mm. and the party afterwards, and Princess Di was there for that too, and she, we Did were you all meet around this tail. Oh yeah, a couple of times and. And uh, she seemed to like us as well. We did music for the film uh, Far and Away. Mm. The theme music, John Williams, and the launch of it was in Leicester Square and, and um, Princess Di came along to that, you know. And she, we met up with her and talked and I invited her back to, I said, well, you know, there's a huge party up in the zoo afterwards, you know. And she oh, God, I don't think I was. I try to think about it, you know. So she came back to me afterwards. She said, not going to work, but doesn't have an Irish whiskey on me. Oh. You know? <laughs> that was her, her comments, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it was a super evening. Another party. Another party, yeah. <laughs> Great evening. 
I, I, we, we could sort of do a lot of name dropping through this mm. interview because you've met some of the greats. But I wanted to ask you about the time you had to, you needed some time in the Abbey Road studios and the oh, Beatles yeah. gave you some time. That's Tell right. Tell me about that. That's right, 1969. I was actually um, running Clad at, at that time. And, and uh, we made Chieftains too in, in, in Craig Hall Studios in, in, in uh, Glasgow. Uh, but uh, in those days, the old 78s, mm. and yeah, if you didn't get a good acetate, you got a terrible bunch of albums, you know. So I had to send to Waterford to have this, this acetate made. And it kept coming back with clinks and clonks and it, it lost life you know after you know I listened to the quarter inch tape and I said my god this is brilliant and then I listened to this and I, this is not going to work I'm not going to let it out so there was pandemonium and they organised for me to go to London uh, to Abbey Road but when they got on there the Beatles were recording Abbey Road <laughs> and for six months they block booked you know and uh, uh, but um, they were asked you know would they could they spare a half a day and they oh of course Chieftains, yes, of course. And Anything for the Chieftains. That's it. And so I got my half day out of it and, and cut a brilliant acetate for, for Chieftains too. Um, and was that and your it, first time to meet Paul and, and John Yes, yeah, yeah, they all, they weren't meant to be there, but they all sort of came in. Oh, how are you, Paddy? You know, and uh, oh, I love this animal. I love that tune and this and that and yeah. that, you know. So uh, John uh, Lennon came in too at that time. Yeah, the, I met the two of them anyway. They were and very what, was, what was your impression of John Lennon? Oh, he was like a strange, sort of laid back. But I, you know, I sometimes you have a couple of words of people. I size them up even on the telephone before I ever see them. You know, is it going to happen or you know what I mean? Yeah. What are they like? And I, I found the chap really good, really nice fellow altogether. You, you wanted to tell me there about the Far and Away soundtrack with John Williams. Uh, the Far and Away, yeah, that that happened. Um, uh, Ron Howard came to our concert one time in uh, Los Angeles. And he heard this, one of the songs we did is the flower of sweet Straban and it's immigration and very sad, really moved him, you know. And and he um, he was actually coming to ask me to do um, music for uh, Watership Down, a film called Watership mm. Down, uh, Greenpeace, and uh, that never really got made. But uh, but he always had in the back of his mind this this Irish story, as he called. It. That was the working title of Far and Away, or the Irish story with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And um, I think I was kind of half responsible in a, in an indirect way of saving Temple Bar, which was going to be a massive big <laughs> bus station, you know. Yeah. They were going to pull everything down. So they put it back up again for the film. That's right. You know, and my daughter had even, uh, she had a part, a small little part in it too. But uh, uh, the score was John Williams anyway, because he always works with John um, Rondo's. And it's a beautiful score, you know, it's a fantastic it's, it's music. It's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're part of that, that score. But uh, I remember on the we were on the road touring, you know, and we'd have rehearsals sometime going over these tunes and they were hopping back and forth. And God, I was driving me mad. But uh, when it came to the recording, uh, uh, it's just the theme music with the Cliffs of Moher and, um, and there's a tin whistle flying over there. That's myself. <laughs> uh, uh, I was saying, John, listen, would you want me to play this my way or the way you have dotted out you know I yeah. <gasps> thought you'd never say it and he put his arms around oh. me you know and then he tapped the thing and said orchestra you know 120 piece orchestra you watch me I'll watch him <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that happened so again you, know? you got each other you understood yeah, each other exactly nice yeah, man to yeah. work with yeah go great before we have our next piece of music before we move from Freddie Mercury I always think of him as, as such a showman and mm. an amazing performer yeah 
But you've put an awful lot of thought over the years into the chieftains on stage. You know, when you brought dancers on and even I saw you late last year on the Late Late and you had the yeah. bagpipers on and you had oh, yeah. dancers. And yeah. you, you love putting on a good show, don't you? It's not a concert anymore. You know, of the last um, almost 20 years now, it's it's always a big show. Yeah. And, and I team up with, if I go to China, which we've been, have Chinese musicians with every concert. And Japan in particular, you know, there's, there's great artists over in Japan. So we do that kind of thing. We mix different places and we make a big show out of it. Um, and because of the, the nature of this piece I've done with the Galician or the San Patricio on the album, the yes. Irish and Mexican connection, uh, uh, I went down to record a pipe band down there and uh, uh, they saw, they're called the San Patricio Pipe Band and they're in the museum, which was the convent. It was the, the Alamo, you might say, the last stand uh, for the Irish battalion under John Riley. And a lot of them got hanged afterwards. A very sad piece yeah. of history, you know. It's not written, you know, and the Americans avoided it like the plague because they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we won't go into into uh, politics or anything. Um, but... Um, uh, I now have a full pipe band every concert that we do and we do this Breton piece at the end uh, Andro and crowds the people get up and dance and, and uh, it's a snake dance kind of thing and, and bring them onto the stage and, and you want to see Carnegie Hall they nearly went berserk really? you know because of Carnegie Hall yeah. and uh, but the people took over and they came on the stage dancing and <laughs> house lights on I was gone <laughs> and were, we made it we made it Carnegie Brilliant. Hall you know yeah, yeah. so um, it was great fun we're going to finish with a piece from the San Patricio uh, album which you made with, with Roy Cooter what piece are we going to, to hear Paddy yeah Roy came on board and produced the last couple of tracks with me um, mariachi bands and sounds and it was great you know uh, but um, he was so impressed with what he had heard up to that um, how far because it took me two years to make this album that he wrote a special song which has little overtones of the mountains and more and you might hear yeah. it I pointed that out to him I thought oh god <laughs> I shouldn't have said that he said no he was delighted uh, but there's there's little feels of that in it but I think it tells in, a, in his in his kind of way, the whole story of the San Patricio, uh, and it's called the Sands of Mexico. We went down to Churubasco, but the devil got there first. The road was hard, the way was long. Churubasco was far worse Pressed in the Union Army And ordered off to go Along the southern border To the sands of Mexico Now we come from Cork and Kerry That emerald my Mary would be pleased to know I'm a praying man at last In this distressed country Little comfort do we know My Bible is my road map On the sands of Mexico When the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. The boys will harmonize 
a lovely Irish air. Take a message to my Mary. She's the one that's true, I know. When you saw me, I had fallen on the sands of Mexico. Now the army used us harshly. We were but trash to them. Conscripted Irish farmers, not first-class soldier men. They beat us and they banged us, mistreated us, you know. But they couldn't make us killers on the sands of Mexico. That's why we call it fate. That's why we call him Lord. That's why I threw away my Yankee sword. Our John Riley sees the day and marched us down the road. And we wouldn't slay our brothers on the sands of Mexico. Righteousness was all in vain. Irish blood was spilled once again. As I stand upon the gallows, it cheers the soul to know history will absolve us on the sands of Mexico. The sands of Mexico, the bloody sands of Mexico. La historia me absolverá on the sands of 